0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. Well, I'm uh, so blessed to be among you again. Um, been here maybe three four times three times but it's been wonderful share fellowship with you again um as i was saying to the the first congregation um it's like this is a home from home for me um gary and April make me feel like one of the family it's fantastic and sometimes they come over to ours as well and uh, we've developed a wonderful relationship over the years so right back at you as you say i, I love you both uh, very much and i know julie does too my wife anyway that's fantastic so I'm a Brit, so I'll get a bit mixed up about your terms. You may not always understand me. That's what seemed to happen <laughs> in the first one. But uh, let's see how we go. Um, we're living in the kingdom of God, and uh, we want to know what the kingdom is like. and We want to be reminded of what that kingdom is, life, is like. And before in Matthew, especially chapter 4, we saw that Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom, and he's backing it up with great power, showing the people exactly what that kingdom is like and what it will be like. And he continues to do this in Matthew 9, which is our passage that we're going to be looking at. And so I want to ask the question, what is this kingdom like? And the first thing about it is this, it is a kingdom where sin is forgiven. Amen. Jesus proves in our passage that he has the power to forgive sin. But he says a very strange thing to a paralyzed man lying on a mat. Um, In 9 verse 2 he says, take heart son, if you want to follow this, Matthew 9 verse 2. Take heart son, your sins are forgiven. Now I reckon that guy paralyzed on the mat, there's a well-known healer coming to him and he thinks, I don't really want to hear that. That's not really why I think you're here. I I want you to heal me. I'm lying on a mat. Um, And you can heal me, so why are you saying that? But then in 9 verse 5, Jesus says, Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Well, he's saying that it's easier to say, actually, that your sins are forgiven. Because those looking on, they can't see that. That cannot be demonstrated at that time. But to command a paralyzed man to get up and walk, that's something that can be demonstrated. That's something only the power of God can do, and they can all witness it. So Jesus goes on to say, 9 verse 6, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, go home. And the man got up and went home. First thing for me to ask this morning is this. Are you in this kingdom where Christ is king? If you are, you need to know afresh that your sins are forgiven. If you're not, your sins remain, along with the guilt of them and the coming punishment for them. But that can be changed. But you who are in the kingdom, the importance is not that this transaction of forgiveness was some time ago... And you never really get to think about it anymore. You need to live in the certain knowledge day by day that your sins are forgiven. And do you know that? And do you live like that? Because sometimes I think we all get caught up even though we may be saved. And we kind of still think we're sort of half paralyzed spiritually like that guy on the mat. We're hanging on to the ball and chain of the past. We're still facing each day, sometimes like someone who's condemned to die and we're not. It's a lie. Um, we have people in our church and they come to me and they're just always cast down and burdened by their sin. Well, what about the Savior? Hasn't he lifted it? If you have asked Christ to take away your sins on the cross and are seeking now to follow him, you're forgiven, fat. Amen. And when you first came to the Lord, you knew that, kind of in all its glory. You accepted it. But do you still accept that same forgiveness now, or have you lost sight of it? Because we can. You see, here's the irony. Christ knows you're forgiven. Even the devil knows it. But somehow you and I don't always accept it. And we sometimes kid ourselves that that's how God wants us to be, this kind of humility thing. But actually that's unbelief and it is not a full acceptance of all that God has given us in forgiveness. Because the truth is that Christ has forgiven your past, forgiven you in the present, and will forgive you in the future. So why would we live as if he hasn't? It seems to be an insult to that beautiful free gift that jesus has given you and i imagine you get someone christmas is coming up isn't it and the one you love and or like a lot or whatever and and you go and you find a really great gift and you think this is for them this is what they need and this is what they'll love and it's very costly and it's kind of tailor-made and and uh, it, it takes a lot of time to plan and it costs you all that you could afford and maybe more and you are happy to give it and you gave it to them on Christmas Day and they kind of were reluctant to accept it. They refused to fully accept it. I wonder how you'd feel. You'd feel sad. You'd feel disappointed. You might feel a little angry. You might think, well that cost me so much and you don't even want it. Oh how much more then does Christ feel after he's poured out his lifeblood blood for you. After he's He's done that simply because he loved you. That's all. And maybe you accept it, but don't accept it at one at the same time. You want it, but you kind of can't necessarily accept it. Sometimes that happens. Even the Christian. You know he died for you, but you don't always live in the, every day in the light that he died for you. That's the thing. I think when everything when you fizzle everything down it, it comes to an issue of focus what you focus on what you think about then it how you feel we have a couple of prayers that we would regularly use i guess in the uk you probably do first one's this lord i'm sorry that i'm not what i should be well that's true isn't it But if you walk away having prayed that and that's all you do and that's all you say, is that motivating? Is that putting a spring in your step? Or maybe it's demotivating and and it's making you drag your feet a little. Why? Because going away with that, just that in your head means that you're already defeated and you go away thinking, I don't step up to the mark, I've failed again and I will fail again. And that's the kind of focus that you start to walk in. But we have another bit to that prayer, which is the equally important bit at the end. Lord, thank you that I'm not what I once was. That's the thing. Now that gives an altogether different perspective. It's motivating. It wants you to get up and go. And it causes you to think of how Christ has transformed you. I'm not what I once was. Hallelujah. You don't think like you used to. You now desire to be more like Christ. You now want to live for him. Because of all he's done so far and what he's going to do. It's it's a motivator. If you're different from before, you'll continue to be different now. You'll think, and in the future, and you'll think, Christ is at work in me. So he's going to be at work in me today. So in his strength, I'm going to smash it today. I'm not what I once was. That's what I try and go away with all the time. That's my focus. Is it yours this evening? No, this evening, Is it yours this morning? And the great thing is sometimes I think it's a win-win because God covers all, all areas. Because if I do fail, as I do, there's this rock-solid backup. He's called Christ. He's right there. He's not to condemn, but he's to brush the dust off you, help you get back on your feet, and empower you to go again. I just got this thing where remember it, it's some of you that have kids and uh, it, say the dad. It could be the mum. We're talking about the dad, and there's your little toddler, and he, first of all he, he or she stands up and holds onto the settee. Uh, do you call it settee sofa sofa? Yeah, and then and then it. it eventually they take a step they they get their hands off the city and they start moving towards you and then they then they then they fall are they going to look up and see a dad who's mad with that child no they expect him to fall because he's trying to walk and when that little kid he looks up into the father's face the father isn't frowning he's smiling he's saying well done you took a step now let me help you up you'll take another one then he goes two steps bang eventually he walks eventually he runs That is how Christ sees you when you fall down. He's not there to to condemn. He wants to help you back on your feet and empower you to go again. But what's so important here about forgiveness is sin is that you and I must remember that God refuses to remember that fall, that mistake, that sin. Why can't you and I? You see, the irony of it all is that the devil knows you're forgiven. But he doesn't want you to know, and he'll perpetually make you think you're not. How many times have you said, sorry, 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 Lord, about something you did actually confess first that day, never did it again. And you're still saying, sorry, 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 Lord. And God's saying, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. It's gone. Don't listen to the devil, listen to the Lord. The other great thing about sin we read in the Bible is that it's disappeared, it's gone, it's vanished. Now, we have a a kind of powder detergent thing that you put in the wash, the laundry wash, called vanish. Guess what that does? It makes all the spots and stains and all the stuff that would never normally come out. You put it in the wash and it vanishes. Of course it doesn't, but they tell you it does and you buy it. And you still buy it again because you still believe, even though it failed the first time, it's going to work this time. You might have the equivalent. But let me say this. In terms of our wash of our souls, God has added divine vanish into the wash to make all spots and stains disappear as soon as it's applied. Isaiah says this, 1 verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. So though they are red, they shall be like wool. When Jesus washes your sins away, they've vanished. There's no trace. They don't exist anymore. Well, you may say, but, but I'm haunted still by some of the things I've done in my life. Some of the things I still sometimes do. But God isn't. And he doesn't remember them. So why should you? Besides, let's look at what you're being haunted by. You're being haunted by something that actually doesn't exist. As I say, it's vanished, it's gone. It's not there anymore. So there's nothing to be haunted by. (laughs) When you got saved, not only did Christ take away your sin, he gave you his hard-earned perfect life. Hardened by him and freely given to you. And he wrapped you up in it. And that's called his righteousness. No matter how you feel, that is a fact. You're a believer. That's what you're wrapped up in. And so now as Tozer says, your past is now Christ's past. Your past is wiped and replaced by Christ's pass. Now, is there anything really to be ashamed of in Christ's past? Of course not. It's sinless. It's pure as the driven snow. It shines like the sun in all its brilliance and it's yours for free. You get to wear it. Now you're not only forgiven, but you can boldly stand upright as Christ does and look directly into the face of God himself. Job says, doesn't he, I and I alone will see him face to face. Why though? You'd normally be toast. You'd normally be burnt up. But now when God looks at you, he sees you wrapped up in the perfect life of Christ like a warm winter coat. I don't know whether you know in San Diego what a warm winter coat is. (laughs) I really do. My wife texted me the other day to say it was minus three. I like warm winter coats. When I put them on, I feel the peace, the warmth, the glow, the comfort, the security of being wrapped up and protected against the elements. And when you're wrapped in Christ's life, it is that life that is acceptable to the holy God. It is that life which is bulletproof, wrath-proof, judgment-proof, condemnation-proof. Your sin is wiped. You're not condemned. You're forgiven. You're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. Grasp it, live it, and then let that be it. Settle it. The other thing is, I think some of us forget the focus you know, I was saying uh, earlier, brought up in a, I guess, a strict, reformed, conservative, evangelical church. And we always seem to be called, because Israel was a worm, so were we. So we were all worms. And we never seem to get past the fact that we were worms. And there was, it's important to speak of sin and to get rid of sin and to repent of sin. But the focus needs to be on the saviour and not the sin. Someone once wrote, we are more sinful than we ever realized, but more loved than we ever dreamed. Now, back to that prayer we used as an example. Let me ask you now, what part of that sentence will you walk away with? Will you dwell upon, we are more sinful than we ever realized? Where's that going to get you? Or will you focus on, we're more loved than we ever dreamed of? Because that is the scriptures, that is God's will for you. That you live in the light of his love. 1 Corinthians 3.1 How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Often we just stop there, but here's the identity, here's the fact. It then says, and that is what we are. Romans 14, the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself says, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Our song said, I'm dancing on the chains. So be free. Live like you're free. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And here's the focus thing, Philippians three thirteen. But one thing I do... Forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize that call, God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. It's a kingdom where sin is forgiven. That's one of the best things. But here's another good thing. It's a kingdom where the dead are raised. Uh, Matthew nine eighteen. A ruler came and knelt before Jesus and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up, went with him, and so did the disciples. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away, the girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd has been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up here again jesus is showing the people what his kingdom's like and he's backing it up with god's power we know don't we that when we look at scripture jesus miracles each physical miracle shows its underlying spiritual truth if we look back at the paralyzed man jesus shows he can forgive the paralyzed man of his sins that's the spiritual by showing he could cure him of his physical problem, the paralysis. And now he shows he can raise the spiritually dead by showing he can raise the physically dead. And the great thing that's happened to us is spiritual, already, resurrection. Which comes before physical resurrection. Jesus begins in John five twenty-four talking about spiritual resurrection. He says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Past tense, as soon as you believe, you have. It's not like you're going to get it, you have it. And will not be condemned. He has crossed over, past tense, from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. When you first trusted Christ, you come alive inside. You begin To be transformed. It's something happens in here. It's no longer here, just here. It's in here. So you kind of have desires that you'd never had before. And you care about what God cares about. You didn't before. And you're conscious of God and what he thinks and what he wants. That's what begins to drive you and motivate you. Once you were spiritually dead to God, but now you've come alive to God. And when you come as a sinner to Jesus and you ask for his forgiveness, that dead spirit within you rises and you get a new heart, a new life, a new power that you've just never known before and you know it. And that means now you have the power of God that before you couldn't follow him, now you can follow him. And now you can love him. And now you can speak for him. And you can love those you couldn't before, albeit difficult. And you can forgive those you refused to forgive before. You can kick the process off. A dead man, he can't do a thing. But now, with resurrection power coursing through your spiritual veins, you can do everything God asks you to do. Do you know what it is here this morning to be raised to new life inside? Do you know about it or do you know it? Have you come alive to God? And if you're a Christian, there was a time when that was more real to you than now. It's still the truth, but can you remind yourself of what's going on in here? The power inside of here by the Holy Spirit. Do you know Christ as Paul did? And do you get uh, move on to know the power of his resurrection? Paul says somewhere else, Um, To this end I labor and I struggle with all his energy. (laughs) It doesn't always feel that way. But that's the fact. It's God's power that changes you and God's power that struck a fatal blow to your old nature when you believed. And implants that new nature to be like God. And that's why you're different now. Now, that means, Christian, that when God says you can, maybe you've been thinking to yourself, I just can't do that. I just can't face that. But God's saying you can. And you're still kind of, well, it's true, isn't it? Or maybe it's something that's just stuck in us and it may be a besetting sin or I don't know what it is. And it just keeps gnawing away and gnawing away. And you know you've got to dump it, but you just think, I can't. I can't do without that. And Jesus says yes you can. You know I've wrestled with God so many times in my life when he puts his finger on something and I don't like it. <laughs> and I don't want that to go in my life. And he he won't let me go and he keeps arguing with me and he keeps pushing me and pushing me. And in the end I reluctantly oh have it your way then, you know. I, I give it to him. And you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought. And I look back and I think, why was I making all that fuss about that? Because now I'm back in connection, full connection with Jesus. And it was that that was my ball and chain. Freedom. The father of the the demon-possessed boy comes along to Jesus, doesn't it? And he says, if you can do anything, Take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, you've got to be kidding. Don't come to me and say if. <laughs> if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Let's stop there for a second. That doesn't mean if you believe hard enough, you'll have a top of the range Mercedes. Although I wish it, it did mean that. It doesn't mean you can do anything you want to do. But it does mean you can do anything God wants you to do. It doesn't mean follow your dreams or follow your heart and everything will come true for you. It means follow God's dreams and God's heart and they'll come true for you. When God asks you to follow him, don't say can't. Because you can't. When Jesus raised Lazarus, he was a four-day-old rotting corpse in the tomb. And what did Jesus say? John eleven forty-four. He said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The grave clothes were right for you when you were spiritually dead. That was appropriate. But now, you shouldn't be wearing them. They're holding you back. You've been set free from the grave of sin and death. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes. Because they're for those who lay motionless in a tomb. They have no hope, they're no use to anyone. And he says, instead, put on the clothes of new life and go. Go. And never go back to that tomb, because sometimes we fiddle around, and Paul speaks about this, with the things of death, or the things that lead to death. And it's almost like we go back to shortchanging ourselves and messing up and everything, because we're too far back. to we will, The tomb draws us, doesn't it, sometimes? But now you're living for life, not death. and more than that now you know you have spiritual life you know that something far better and far more wonderful is just around the corner too and that's physical resurrection jesus continues in john 5 and moves up a gear to of okay, course we've had a spiritual resurrection now he speaks of physical now he speaks of physical resurrection do not be amazed at this For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. In other words, a day is coming soon, and very soon, really, I think, the way things are. When all over the world, at the same time, everyone who ever lived will burst out of their graves. What an incredible thing. It'll be like Jason and the Argonauts, like times 10. Have you ever seen that? It's a very old film. You have, some of you have seen it, and it's kind of a a mini resurrection. But that's not to be compared with this. People will burst out of their graves in Chula Vista, in Escondido, in El Cajon, uh, in London, in Paris, in Sydney, in Zambia, in Australia, all over the world, all at the same time. I mean, how awesome would that be? You could never make a movie as good as that. Although Mel Gibson's trying. It's coming out next year, I think. (laughs) Those who trusted Christ while they were alive and now dead. The spiritually raised will be clothed in those new resurrection bodies just like Jesus' body. A sin-free, sick-free, sorrow-free, never-to-die-again body. Now that's what's worth living for. Especially when we get older. I used to be relatively good looking, now look. (laughs) But one day, I'll just be incredibly attractive. (laughs) And so will you. This is what we have to live for. You know, the UK is so bad, I don't want to go on too much, but the UK is so bad at the moment. It's not non-Christian. It's anti-Christian. And the people who are being squeezed now socially is us, the Bible. Not the religious, the Bible-believing Christians. And it's all over the place. You can see it. It's coming. And it's already here. And it just makes me think, I'm so glad I'm the Lord. I don't, I'm not going to worry and look horizontally anymore about this whole world and how it's going to be wrapped up. Jesus tells me that. And he says, lift up your heads. Your redemption is near. Do not be alarmed. Because that's what's coming redemption. New bodies face to face with Jesus. And when you focus on that you can get through anything. Are you ready? A kingdom where sin is forgiven, kingdom where the dead are raised, and these are short things now. A kingdom where the blind see. Nine verse and um, back to Matthew nine verse twenty seven. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Same principle, different thing. This time, the blind see. We've been singing about that. Before you came to Jesus, you could not see the kingdom and you could not see the king. And you wondered what all the fuss was about and what it was that other people could see that you couldn't see. You couldn't see all he'd done. You didn't consider him to be beautiful and powerful and magnetic and all loving and all God. In fact, you didn't consider him at all. The Bible was gobbledygook, jumbled up nonsense, like a foreign language, or it was just boring and dull. Uh, And then Christ touched your eyes and restored your sight. And for the first time by faith, you could see his wonderful face. And by faith, you knew he'd come for you. Not that he'd come for the whole world, although that's great. But this time it was up close and personal. He'd come for me. he lived for me. He died for me. And he opened his whole new world to me. And then that boring old Bible of gobbledygook became not black and white, but ultra HD. Or 4K. A hymn writer, old guy. Um, some of the dead guys say some great things, don't they? Because they've, they've passed and they leave great things for us. And uh, this one is talking about when Jesus makes your eyes see. It's really about creation and what we see that we never saw before. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs overflow. Flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know... As now I know, I am his, and he is mine. And then we have a kingdom, not only where the blind see, but a kingdom where evil is defeated. Back to our passage, Matthew nine thirty-two. While we were going out, while they were going out, A man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Now we know on the cross that the devil has been humiliated, disarmed, and defeated. Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So next time that devil, devil starts going in your ear and doing your head in and nagging in your ear and snapping at your heels like a little yap-yap dog and tucking at your emotion, tugging at your emotions, so being pulled this way and that way and all the ways you don't want to be pulled, he's received a fatal headwind. Isn't it wonderful? The fall fall isn't wonderful. At the fall. The incarnate Jesus, God, walking through the garden in the cool of the day and he finds Adam and Eve and he questions them. But before he pronounces judgment, he gives the gospel in advance. Genesis 3.15. He, Jesus, will crush your Satan's head. You will be attacked, but you are spiritually protected from the devil since the cross. On the cross, he has been disarmed. Jesus has kicked his head in, and he's been reeling ever since. He has a serious head injury. And when he does attack, remember just who holds his leash. It's the Christ who loves you. So live, just as live in the light of Christ's total forgiveness. Live in the light of the devil's defeat, not the devil's power. Two Timothy four eighteen. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack, bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. It's going to happen. It's a done deal. Just keep following. And lastly. We've looked at some fantastic truths that have warmed our hearts and reminded us of this kingdom, but it doesn't end there. Because here's a kingdom where its subjects serve the king. 9, verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You can imagine them then. Right, we need workers. We need workers. The Lord's told us to send out the workers. Let's pray that there'll be somebody <laughs> that, uh, that, 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 that can join the Lord of the harvest. As long as it's not me. And then they realized, I don't want to do them a disservice, but maybe it didn't click till Jesus told them. So they're praying for workers. And then Jesus says, right in the next verse, 10 verse 1, he called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. As you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is here, is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you've received. Freely give. The penny drops that clicks. They are the answer to their own prayer. They are the ones he wants to serve him. How often do we pray about things? Pray about help. Pray, pray to the Lord to send us other workers, but kind of hope that somebody else will do it. Somebody else maybe is already doing it, they want to step down, but Lord, please help someone to help them to find somebody, but don't let it be me. There is a place for you in the kingdom. There is a place for you to serve the king. Whoever you are, wherever you are, And Jesus says this, freely you have received all these things I've given you, all at my expense, not at yours, and I've given them to you. Now you expend yourselves with my power and freely give all of this to others. Jesus says, I've shown you what to do to the disciples, now you go and do it. Freely you have received, freely give. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the great kingdom that we belong to. We thank you for the glorious king. It's all about Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, we can go and do these things. And when we fail, the blood of Jesus is there to cleanse us and to wash us. Fill us, Lord, we pray, with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us power to serve you better and serve you more. And may it be all about you and less about me. In Jesus' name, amen.